0: Hello once again everybody and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, April 1st edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper over at bradpowerssports.com. We'll talk a little bit of FCS college football, take a look at the final four, the national championship and put a bow on the college basketball season here on today's show. Over at ATS.io, it is opening day. The first of my MLB Picks and Tips articles posted over there at the website. Look, I will tell you up front, if you just want picks rattled off in a list, that is not what you are getting from my article. A lot of words, a lot of game breakdowns, thoughts on games that I don't even have a bet on. Trying to get a lot of information out early on in the season here. Give you some thoughts on what to look for, what to watch for, how to handicap all that kind of stuff. So it is a long read over there at ATS.io on a daily basis, but I certainly encourage you to check that out. It will help you as a Major League Baseball handicapper. Maybe you won't agree with the picks. Maybe you won't want to read it every day. Whatever, that's up to you. But I think it is a very helpful tool in a lot of ways. So check that out over at the website. Do along with daily NBA, NHL picks, soccer picks. No UFC or NASCAR this weekend, but we do cover those. Golf Tournament starts today with the Valero Texas Open. We preview the golf tournaments every week over at the website as well. Lots of stuff going on for you to check out over at ATS.io. You can find all that stuff in the ATS app as well. Full article integration from the website, but also the ATS app is a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. It's a stats database. You can buy a premium model subscription. Lots of bells and whistles in that ATS app, which you can download for your Android or ios devices with that one final time here for the college basketball season we bring on professional better and handicapper brad powers from bradpowerssports.com. and brad how's it going today man,
1: man it's going well how you doing and it's
0: already busy uh you know that that article takes up a lot of time in the morning for me kind of following along with all the line moves trying to get it out there before the lines move where we still get some line value uh definitely not in mid-season form as far as baseball goes but kind of trying to get to that point. And, uh, you know, I know you're not a baseball guy, so you get a little bit of downtime after this weekend's over, correct?
1: I do. Uh, but I, you, got to respect games. So, man, I appreciate you putting in, uh, you know, putting in the time. So uh, I give you a lot of credit. I, I, my eight-month grind is coming to an end.
0: Yeah, but then you start watching spring games and, and putting together all your college football thoughts and all that, because, you know, as we've talked about before, we're not that far away from college football win totals. And in fact, I've seen, I believe it's DraftKings, already has NFL season win totals up. And the draft is, I don't even know when the draft is, but it's sometime here this Four month. weeks from today. Four weeks from today. I actually know that. I mean, it's in Cleveland for, for Christ's yep. sake. But um, yeah, I mean, win totals out four weeks before the NFL draft. I'm sure college football win totals will be coming out soon here as well. But one form of college football still being played, is the FCS. And you and I were talking about this before we started recording here today. We've had a rash of opt-outs here this week. We have what seems like a lot of teams just aren't super interested in continuing this, you know, spring football season here with the fall not that far away.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, it's teams that you know I was looking to line up and bet against. I mean, Cal Poly has only played a couple games, but you know, I, I only needed to see one game of Cal Poly, and it's a Cal Poly team that's transitioning away from the option. They got crushed in the opener. I bet against them last week, and they got crushed once again uh, against Eastern Washington. And I was you know planning on okay, now I can you know play against Cal Poly a bunch here. Uh, down the stretch, but, you know, they just opt out. Chattanooga is probably the FCS story of the week with what happened. This is how much of a shit show FCS betting's been. So Chattanooga is one team that got bet uh, heavily, uh, you know, obviously not heavily like, you know, regular college football game, but we're talking a line move of more than a touchdown last week. Chattanooga got bet on. And right before kick, and and by – Right before kick, I mean, like minutes, they announced that they're going to rest every single starter uh, in their game against Mercer last week. They end up losing the game outright as a double-digit favorite, and then this week Chattanooga decides we're going to quit. And, and to put in perspective, th- th- this is you know what we're dealing with with the FCS betting chattanooga wasn't a mediocre team chattanooga is ranked in the top 10 and unbeaten in the spring and all of a sudden out of the blue out of nowhere they decide to rest all their starters and then two days later opt out of the season so uh i'm still betting it but i would say (laughs) be very very cautious at least until the playoffs start here in in three weeks
0: well in in a general sense high variance illiquid markets are usually pretty good for the better because yep. you know, you're able to do a lot of homework, a lot of hard work digging this stuff up. Whereas the sports books kind of put up a number, then they have to read and react to what the market is doing. But in this instance here with FCS, I mean, the variance level is goes so much farther beyond anything we've really seen in terms of markets that a lot of people pay attention to. And, you know, we kind of talked about this, wondering if once March Madness was over, once the NCAA tournament was complete, If the FCS would get more run, would get bet on some more. And of course, with the playoffs coming up, you would think more people would kind of get involved with that. But, you know, right now, I just, you kind of look at this thing and you sort of wonder how long people like you, the sharp people getting a lot of closing line value are are even going to continue with with the, I guess, for lack of a better term, this fiasco.
1: (laughs) I, it's, I, Tough. I'll put it that way. And it's come across my mind, you know, that came across my mind early on in the process after a couple of weeks. And then I had a couple of good weeks and I'm like, okay, now, now, now I'm, you know, all right. But then, you know, a week like last week happens where, you know, we talk constantly uh, on this show every week about getting the best number as possible and, and in liquid markets where there isn't as much variance, you know, talking about how every half point matters in the long run. Well, last week, I got the better the number on average by about five points per game, five, not five points per game, 10 ticks. And, and I had a losing week. So I mean, you want to talk about demotivation. Uh, that, that That's, you know, the third time that's happened already in a five or six week period. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to continue to grind at it. Because I, I do think with volume, you can eventually overcome something like that. But, you know, it's, It hasn't been fun, and I tweeted this out earlier this week. I mean, starting at eight years old, I started betting on everything. I'm talking eating worms, jumping a creek with a bike. You know, one of my buddies, uh, you know, I bet him whether or not he could bench press 200 pounds. I bet on everything in my life. Uh, Dinner bets with you. And one of the dumbest things I've ever bet, uh, at least something that doesn't make any sense to me, is this FCS spring season. Just uh, I tweeted that out.
0: Were you the one eating the worms or was it somebody else?
1: I did. Yeah, I did. I won that bet. I won almost every bet that, that I did uh, back then, back in those days. I jumped a creek with the bike I think it was just five bucks. And I think the worms was also a $5 bet, but yeah, I ate it. Huh. I are you, are probably explain sure? some things, right? I was going to say, are you sure that you actually won that bet or? I, I mean... won, man. I, money was everything. Uh, at a very young age for me. I was the only one that had it at a very young age. And now everyone's starting to come to my world now, it seems like, across everything, where everything's about money now. Well,
0: for one of the bets, you can buy me dinner at Old Homestead and then you can eat a can of worms while I eat you know, a nice, a nice <laughs> steak there uh, at the Steakhouse at Caesars Palace. Why don't, we, why don't we go with one of those? But, no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, that has to be remarkably frustrating, especially because as we talk about here in, in any market, all you can control is getting the best of the number that you can. All you can control is you're trying to rack up that closing line value, and then you hope that the game plays out in the way that it's supposed to. But, you know, obviously that doesn't always happen. And, and here in this high-variance FCS environment, you know, I, I like I said, I do wonder, you know, as we go forward here about, you know, the public level of interest, but certainly the sharp level of interest too, where maybe they just go ahead and say, you know what, screw it. We're just going to bet – MLB where you know that's a pretty yep. illiquid market early on or bet these draft props that are out there even if they're lower limit things there's a higher degree of certainty when it comes to the draft I think than FCS football which is astonishing to think about
1: yeah I think you know from at least my inner circle a l- lot of more emphasis on the NFL draft uh, especially with, with a lot more draft opportunities to bet now especially you know outside the state of nevada i mean in those east coast places uh, with european models i mean you can get after the draft a lot better than you can here in the state of nevada so uh it's either move to baseball move to the nfl draft uh i don't see a lot of people actively betting fcs we'll put it that way and, and, and let me say this and you know, it would be one thing if I thought I was creating almost all closing line value. If it was just me and then I, I'm giving, you know, I'm telling the whole world this is what I bet. I bet big. I bet multiple times where I kept maxing, maxing, maxing the, the bet, and then I gave it out to hundreds of people and they're betting into it. No, that's not necessarily been the case for for a bunch of these. I mean, I'm not telling people what I'm betting. Uh, you know, I'm not betting enough to to move it significantly, several points. Uh and you know, I'm only giving out a few picks, Uh, you know, out of 15 bets I make each week, I'm only giving out a few. So uh, I'm not the only one betting into these numbers. And you're right. I'd have to think the frustration level is to the point where it's almost like, do I want to do this anymore? Are there other better opportunities? And and maybe, you know, it's time to, you know, to start peeking at NBA whether it's player prop bets, the type of thing. I mean, that's what I would think if I wasn't just a football first guy.
0: All right, so let's transition over to the college basketball side of things here. We've got three games left in the NCAA tournament, the two final four games, and then the national championship game. And before we dig into these final four games here specifically, I posed this same question on yesterday's show to Kiev O'Neal from the Odds Breakers, and we had a good back and forth chat about it. But in terms of what we've seen in this year's NCAA tournament relative to what we've seen in the past or what you want to carry over into the future, because we've seen, you know, here in this Indianapolis bubble, a lot of really bad shooting performances, certain conferences faring a lot better than others. Do you just kind of chalk it up to, you know, kind of a one-off unconventional tournament, or do you think there are some things that you can use from this tournament and carry over into the future?
1: I'm probably more in the one-off just because there's not as much traveling. There's no fans, you you didn't have any non-conference, hardly any, you know, at the start of the season to to take a look at at specific conferences. Yeah. There's, you know, and uh, let me clarify, I am not an originator when it comes to college basketball, meaning, you know, I am not specifically spending 365 on college hoops. So uh, there's really nothing that I'm personally going to take from uh, this tournament other than first half unders in that first round of uh, those two, you know, the, the opening Thursday and Friday, if we're going back to that, uh, th- that'll be my main major takeaway is to get after, you know, those is a- ASAP and, and get after a lot of dogs ASAP, because, you know, it's a, I think it's the fourth consecutive year where, where the underdogs have gotten the better of the favorites If you are just blindly betting on, uh, you know, after it, th- that would be, you know, not only my advice to myself, but, you know, advice to anybody listening.
0: Well, one of the things that I talked about on yesterday's show, and and perhaps this has something to do with why the Big Ten has struggled, is that a lot of teams in the Big Ten play very similarly. You know, there's just not a lot of variance in that conference. A lot of teams take care of the ball. They don't force turnovers, so on and so forth, as we've talked about already. I think that for future NCAA tournaments, and this is a little bit more subjective, maybe a little bit narrative-based, but I think I'm going to pay less attention to the metrics and more attention to kind of what those teams have done in terms of who they've played against, you know, because mm. these adjusted metrics are all very heavily weighted on strength of schedule and all of that. And you look at this, and okay, fine, you know, Gonzaga, Houston, and Baylor are you know the top three teams at Bart Torvik. Uh, they're you know in the top five, top three there at Ken Palm as well. But the Big Ten, all of those teams were thought to be really, really good because they just played each other back and forth and all that kind of thing. Whereas the conference as a whole, apparently, wasn't as good as we thought. And maybe it's because they didn't see a lot of different styles of play. Whereas the Pac-12, a lot of those teams play differently. You've got teams that slow it down like UCLA and USC and Oregon. But Oregon can also be this hybrid team that scores really well. Arizona State pushes the pace. Arizona will move a little bit. You know, Washington has that zone. Washington State plays a different kind of game, all of that where I think maybe you've got to start looking at that a little bit more too is diversification of opponents and styles and how maybe that will allow
1: teams to have success in the tournament. I think it's a very, very sharp take on your behalf. I would, the only thing I would say to that is a lot of times that's going to get exposed, maybe not so in NCAA tournament, but by playing 10 or 12 non-conference games, a lot of that will get exposed, you know, beforehand where, you know, most teams were playing two, three, four, five, and not, not always against the best competition this past year. But yeah, I, 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 I think that's something that you can make money on in the future. Certainly.
0: Yeah. That's a good point about not having non-conference, you know, teams just the kind of seeing all the same styles in conference play And, and teams that are, you know, relatively close from a talent standpoint too, you know, so maybe it was just kind of a weird unconventional season all the way around but I, you know, I think that there are a few takeaways you could use uh, as we go forward here into future tournaments, but with that, let's take a look here at these final four games, and we take a look at Houston and Baylor here. Baylor five-point favorite, total 134, pretty much market-wide for this one. You'll find some mild variances in in the total out there, but five is the prevailing number across the board, and what do you think about this one, man? With Baylor you know, in that five-point range, two-possession spread, that's not about right to you?
1: It does. I would lean Baylor, uh, but it's not cheap by, you know, <laughs> I was hoping to get it a little cheaper, right. hopefully 3-4. Not, not the case. Uh, and, and mainly it's scheduled disparity. Uh, and if you look at some of the metrics like Kempom, you, you think, oh, scheduled disparity. You don't see much. Uh, Because Baylor's number 72 strength of schedule, Houston's 96. So maybe you shouldn't be solely basing on that. But it's at the top end uh, of that strength of schedule where Baylor's played 10, 10 teams in Kempom's top 30. Houston's played one, 10 to one there. And obviously people have talked about Houston playing four double digit seeds to get there, taking a major step up in class against the Baylor team. That's, you know, their last three rounds have played three top 20 caliber teams. And, you know, have won comfortably in all three of those games. And to me, also the mispricing, I think people forget because Gonzaga is getting this, you know, greatest team of all time type of love, but late January, early February, a lot of people were starting to come around to the point that maybe Baylor's better than Gonzaga. And then what happened? Baylor has a three-week COVID pause, and then when they return from it, they're not that sharp to close out the regular season and also the Big 12 tournament. But I can tell you this: last three games for Baylor, they've looked like the team that we saw in December and all of January, which was clearly at least the second-best team in the country and more than capable of giving Gonzaga a run. So because of that three-three-week period or so not only the COVID pause, but then that two, three-week period coming after it, I think because of that, you know, Baylor being a little slow and, and, uh, you know, stodgy coming out of that break, I think you're getting some slight value there. So it's not a big bet for me, but I do lean Baylor.
0: Yeah, I like Baylor in this spot, too. And you, you bring up a lot of good points there, specifically in terms of, you know, strength of schedule for Baylor, the teams that they've played. And, of course, even just here in this tournament, were their last three opponents all top 20 at Ken Palm. The last three opponents for Houston, 38th, 41st, and 43rd. So, you know, that's a part of it for me here when it comes to this handicap. But also, too, you know, we just talked about how these metric sites, you know, really weighing in a heavy fashion with their adjusted efficiency metrics, the Big Ten, for example. It feels like Houston has not been punished at all for how bad offensively the AAC is as a conference. When you look in conference games, it was the third worst conference in the country in league play in effective field goal percentage offense. Mm. So yeah, Houston's got a great defensive team, but a lot of that is also based on who they played the majority of their games against. So it is really interesting to me that all of these big 10 teams graded so highly at all these metric sites but then it doesn't seem like Houston has been punished for the schedule that they've played and specifically the schedule of opposing offenses to the point where those metric sites have this game virtually a pick but the market yeah. has Baylor minus five. And I think the market number is far more efficient here. And it's interesting yep. to see that deviation because as we've talked about, the market usually gets posted with Ken Palm and then kind of adjusts from there. In this instance, it isn't. And I think that really speaks to how much superior Baylor actually is in this matchup, and I do like them minus the five.
1: Glad you brought that up because Kempom has Baylor one, Bartovic I think has, uh, Houston has Houston one minus one, yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you normally when you look to take advantage because the uh, you know specifically Kempom is basically the market, especially early on in the process. Uh, you look for deficiencies and you mentioned one of them, but I mean, usually major one is doesn't account for injuries. Doesn't account for, you know, just, you know, say a guy sat out the first 15 games of the season. Now he's into the lineup. Uh, It doesn't always account for that appropriately. In this case, we're not dealing with any injuries or whatnot. And I just think that the market, is so, and this is, you know, I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but I usually do with you. I don't know what it is that you bring out in me, but <laughs> it just goes to show you how tough it is to win, man. Uh, I mean, when all the major popular efficiency markets telling you, you know, this game should be close to pick them and Baylor's five. I mean, that just, I, I'm not, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, Baylor's not laying five here. They're probably laying two or three. And it's just, you know, gives you another reason you know reason number 374 why it's tough to beat this market consistently
0: yeah it definitely is and and, you know look I mean I think you can make a case that these two teams do have some similarities certainly you know if you want to crap on Houston's defensive numbers well Baylor's aren't great you know so so maybe that's kind of a similarity between the two both teams very good on the offensive glass one key difference to me is that Baylor is just so much better shooting the ball they are a far more efficient offensive team much better shooting percentages, including being number one in the country in three-point percentage. So with that in mind, what do you think about the total for this game? Sitting there at 134 and a half. feels like, you know, maybe that could be a little bit low. Again, Torvik showing 141 as the projected total for this one. So again, a spot where the market deviates quite a bit
1: from some of the metric sites that are out there. Yeah. And Ken Palm has it 143. I mean, I I want to play under, but I, it's not cheap. In fact, I think you're paying a premium on, on the under uh, just because I also want to see how they're going to do the court. I haven't looked at it yet uh, to, to see what, what the courts because they've had two different courts inside Lucas Oil. Or now they're going to have like a center type court or are they going to still play at half a stadium? Uh, I haven't seen that yet. I don't know the answer, but obviously we've seen one thing I do know is we've seen 12 games so far in the tournament played inside Lucas Oil. And eight and four, the unders, and well it didn't look great, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, with the exception of Baylor, uh, Arkansas, uh, in the Elite Eight, I mean, team struggled. So, I want to lean under, but again, I think I, the market's already pricing that and then some in. So, uh, I'll wait and see if people want to play a little bit over come game day, but right now, no bet, I don't see much value at 134.5.
0: All right, so we take a look here at UCLA and Gonzaga in the second of the two Final Four games. And uh, look, I mean, it's, it's really awesome that UCLA has made this run. And it was great to see the Cronin family so excited. And, you know, obviously, it's, it's always good to see the emotion from the players too. But this is an 11 seed that has already played, what, six games in 17 days, I think. Very, you know, yeah. high octane, high intensity, very important types of games. And now they face a team that some people are saying might be the best ever in college basketball. And I certainly think that you could make the case that it could very well be the best offense we've ever seen in college basketball. And, you know, look, I'm all for the Cinderella story. I'm all for, you know, the the Disney ending and all that kind of thing. I'm not super enthused about a 14-point favorite in the Final Four. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I probably, I would have liked to seen Michigan here, even though I don't like Michigan from a fan aspect. I just I want to see quality basketball, and I know UCLA beat Michigan, but I just I don't see it being that competitive. Although I'm not recommending by any stretch of the imagination to lay fourteen here. I'm not built that way to let, It is an historic spread, uh, it, it, at least since. And yeah, you went to the the, the full sixty four team uh format in nineteen eighty-five. We've never seen a spread this high in the final four. Um uh, I who dictates tempo will be very key, obviously, because you got a UCLA team that wants to slow it down. Number three thirty-eight in tempo. Gonzaga's number six. Not that it matters for Gonzaga. They're perfectly capable of playing some slow tempo teams and still getting margin. That's how good the the, the Zags are. Uh, again, I'm not sure that I'm going to be involved heavily. Uh, I guess I'll lean UCLA plus 14. I, if you're asking me if you really want me to narrow it down, as far as a bet on Saturday night, I think it's Baylor minus five for me. But uh, yeah, I would have, I, I'm with you. I, I'm of the thinking. I, I'm okay with Cinderella getting uh, invited to the dance, but there has to be a curfew. Uh, on Cinderella and I, I I'm not a big fan of seeing Cinderella in the final four I want to see the best teams and yeah UCLA is playing that well but I, I would have much rather dived into a handicap on Michigan Gonzaga than this one
0: you know and maybe this is unfair to say but when, when I look at the reaction for UCLA you know knocking off Michigan and, and look if UCLA scores 51 points here they're getting waxed I mean they're probably oh. losing this game by 30 yep. but when you look at the reaction for them didn't it almost feel like that was their national championship game? Yeah. Because you know Gonzaga's on deck. You know yeah. exactly what comes with that. And, look, being a Final Four team as an 11 seed is one hell of an accomplishment. I mean, beating Gonzaga might be, given the context, the biggest upset of all time in college basketball. But it, 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 it sort of felt to me like they sort of accomplished what they set out to do. And I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to roll over and die in this game. But I just wonder, at some point, the gas tank has to go to E, right? At some point, you just can't keep getting up and playing the caliber of game that they've played. And also, too, at some point, you know, their run of teams not making shots against them has to end. And if it's going to end, it it probably ends here. Here's the craziest part about this. It's a 14 or a 14 and a half point spread. I've given exactly zero thought to betting UCLA.
1: Yep. Uh, I I'm in normally I would be all over. Cause I'm a big historical outlier type of guy. Oh, wow. I, you know, I, do I believe Gonzaga is one of the best teams ever? I don't know. Uh, again, I'm hemming and hawing around that because of that. I would, I would always look towards the dog in that type of situation, but you know, UCLA, they're really doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And it's just not like a UCLA team that just, you know, had high expectations coming into the season. then all of a sudden, you know, had a mediocre season and now are playing up to their capability. No, UCLA lost three projected starters. Uh, I mean, so and they're, they're they're certainly not supposed to be doing this. And sooner or later, I'm not going to say, you know, coming off a three, you know, having three days off that they're going to be tired. But, you know, that should sooner or later play a big part that three of your best players are not with you. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm not pleased that the, the, the Bruins are here uh, the, to be honest with you. It's nothing anti UCLA. It's just, you know, a missed opportunity maybe to make some money. Right. No, absolutely. I
0: agree. So is there anything on the total here at at 145 and a half that you're thinking about?
1: Again, I want to play the under, but. It's more than priced into it. I mean, Palm 154, Bartor, Torvik 151. I will say I did find some value in the last game. One of my favorite plays, my favorite play of the lead eight was I did play the UCLA-Michigan game under. Uh, you know me, I, I just don't tout a bunch of winners. I, I prefer actually talk about my losers here, but I was happy with that handicap because going over to UCLA, at least recently, they had a lot of over, they had three overtime games in their previous five games. And that was 70 plus extra points and, and six overtime games going back the full season. So a, a lot of extra scoring because of overtime in UCLA games kind of, you know, influences their full season averages influences people that have been betting their games recently, a recency bias, but because that Michigan UCLA game went under so easily, And because I think it's more than factored into this line, again, I'm not running to a window to bet under 145 and a half. I was hoping to get something, you know, two, three points higher. And it just never happened. I mean, the market's super efficient.
0: Yeah. I mean, the only thing I could take a look at here would be the under, but at the same time, I mean, Gonzaga has no issue blowing anybody out. I mean, we've seen that all year long, even if they empty the bench, they, they're probably not going to take the whole shot clock. They're going to let the guys off the bench come in and just you know kind of run things the way they're supposed to be run for this team. The, the thing that I kind of look at here and why I am considering the under, if UCLA is getting trucked in this game, and again, it's, it's very much a possibility. It's not a reflection oh, yeah. of them. It's just simply that Gonzaga is really, really good, and UCLA has not only overachieved, but also played a lot of high-intensity basketball. If they're getting beaten badly, I think they just hit the wall. I think that they just completely run out of gas. And maybe that's the point where Mark Few kind of reads the room and goes, all right, I don't really want to beat these guys by 40. You know, I I don't really want to go out there and embarrass anybody, you know, and and that could be what happens here in this game. If UCLA starts like USC did, maybe they have a push to get back into it. If they don't, then, you know, I, I think maybe at that point, Few would call off the dogs. But like you said, I mean, relative to the metric sites, I mean, this thing is adjusted for Lucas Oil, adjusted
1: for the stakes, all that kind of thing. There is no line value on this total at all. Not saying you can't win. Uh, And I'll look at as we get more player props as we get closer. uh, Maybe that's the way to go. It sucks that I'm in a state here in Nevada that doesn't, you know, offer as much college basketball player props as, say, like New Jersey or obviously offshore. But I just if you're if if you feel like you're extracting so much value out of side or total pre flop on these two games, I tip my cap to you. I don't. I think that the value that was there to be had is already priced into the line, and then some. Both side and total, especially. I agree with you. If I was, if you were to narrow me down, Hey, I absolutely need two bets, you know, one on each game, Baylor minus five under UCLA Gonzaga probably be it for me. They both be pizza bets uh, and, and more like Totino's pizzas. Uh, instead of taking the family out here to, you know, the let's say pizza rocket at, at green Valley ranch. Pizza rocks. Not bad. I've had the one downtown. It's, it's not bad at all. Yeah, it's not bad. It's decent. I mean, pizza back home. Uh, home meaning Ohio, East Coast, way better, though, than Vegas. It's the one thing that that back home has over Vegas, one of very few.
0: A big part of that, and I I can attest to that, is the beer in Vegas isn't all that good from the micro brews because the water in town sucks, and water is such an important part
1: of, you know, making (laughs) the crust
0: and all that. So I I think that's a big part of it.
1: Be not, you know again, what we need to have, you know, just flip on the, the record button, but I have some thoughts here about water. I don't, I can't believe water is not a bigger issue out here. It will be in 20 years. So if you're looking to live in Vegas for the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life, I'm going to tip my cap to you because there's going to be a serious water issue here uh, coming down the line.
0: Well, there we go. Sounds like an argument for another day. Here's something we <laughs> can talk about maybe over the summer. But, you know, we, we just broke down the final four games here. And, and Circa Sports put up numbers yesterday uh, around oh. 5 o'clock Eastern for the potential national championship games. And we'll start by taking a look at the most likely of the two matchups, Baylor and Gonzaga. Gonzaga opened minus 5.5, total 160. Looking at the Circa app right now, Gonzaga is minus 6 with a total of 160. You're taking 3K on the side one on the total, but you surprised to see Gonzaga go up from five and a half to six based on the early look ahead number?
1: No, I expected it to be almost seven. I wanted to bet Baylor, maybe seven ish Uh would have been my buy. So I, I, I was, I thought it came maybe even a little low. Uh So I, I want to play Baylor, but I'm not going to play it unless I get seven. So uh <laughs> it's a pretty sharp line. Kudos for Circa for doing it.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think five and a half was cheap. I think six is a little bit cheap here, too. I, I think yep. once you get out of two possession range at seven, yep. that's kind of where you start to see. I think, I think a strong number is seven. I don't think I'd want to play either side, but anything under that, I do like Gonzaga a little bit in that situation. If Houston beats Baylor, certainly the likelier of the two upsets here, that one opened Gonzaga minus 10 and 143 and a half. Right now, as we're recording here on, on Thursday afternoon, at least Eastern time anyway, Gonzaga
1: down to nine against Houston with that total still at 143 and a half. I understand that. Uh, number one, taking the double digits. And also, you know, you're going to have to upgrade Houston significantly uh, for beating a team like Baylor. So uh, with a lower total, it would be one of the lowest totals that Gonzaga's had all season to, to have a double digit spread there. I could see why some early money came out on Houston there. I agree with that. I, I I'm not sure that in, in Lucas Oil w- with a pretty much empty stadium, uh going back to the Baylor Gonzaga game, I'm not sure that you can have a 160 and a half total there, man. That that's that's pretty high. In fact, I'm on the app now. I'm gonna gonna put a small bet on the under there.
0: Yeah, it, it is a big number, especially when you consider the stakes yeah. of the game and, and also too, I mean, look, Gonzaga has done well when they've stepped up in class this year, certainly. But, I mean, Baylor's a different animal than anybody they've played. You think about all their, you know, major non-conference wins, Iowa and Virginia and Auburn and West Virginia and Kansas and all that. I mean, we're not, none of those teams made deep runs in the NCAA tournament. They had fine regular seasons to some degree, but, you know, those teams, when they stepped up in class in the tournament or matched up against somebody that wasn't a good match for them, they didn't fare well. So, I, I'm not saying, you know, like I said, I, I think Gonzaga under seven is still a pretty good bet, but simply saying that I could see an argument for either a lower scoring game or Baylor or something like that. Not really so much with Houston, but maybe I'm just not giving Houston enough credit uh, for a variety of different reasons here. So if hell freezes over and UCLA beats Gonzaga and look, it's snowing here today. So I guess that's certainly a possibility. <laughs> Baylor, a seven-point favorite right now in the app, total 138 against UCLA. And this one has been bent down a point after opening Baylor minus eight against the Bruins.
1: Makes sense because I mean, what do you the, the, the disagreement is how much do you upgrade UCLA at that point pulling off a monster upset? But then because there's always two sides of the coin when it comes to this beautiful industry that we're in. Uh, you know, d- d- does UCLA at that? I've seen so many times teams pull off that big upset and then just don't have anything left in the tank uh, for that next game. But you, at that point, you would say UCLA. I mean, who would be playing better than UCLA th- th- than any other team in, in the country? Uh, one of the more remarkable runs we've ever seen, if they were able to do that. I, I guess I see that. It's it's not going to happen, uh, so – I mean, the fact that I said that probably will, but I just, I don't see how UCLA beats Gonzaga. So I, no, we're not seeing the Bruins in the championship game.
0: I don't either. And, and like I said, on yesterday's show, I don't know if there's a number out there because we're not going to get some stupid, ridiculous number. I don't know if there's a number out there that would keep me away from fading UCLA. If, if they beat Gonzaga as a 14 and a half point dog, how in the hell do they come back 48 hours later? with any kind of big effort it would, yeah. be, it would be shocking to me so yeah i mean maybe we don't even need to mention this but houston minus three and a half, one twenty-seven and a half 127 and against ucla here that number looks a little
1: cheap to me to be honest with you yeah i'd agree with that it does look a little cheap i i would want to play under but like sure circa hung a pretty good line you know in the 120s there uh i mean obviously two very very slow tempo teams and you would have to argue, you know, how much left in the tank either team has after pulling a couple of big upsets. Uh, under probably Houston for me.
0: All right, so I have to ask this question because it's something that I ask at the end of every season, and it feels like a good way to wrap up our weekly appearances with Brad Powers here on the show. But the college basketball season effectively over; three games left here, and you know they're all kind of spotlight, standalone types of games. So as you look back at what happened here for this college basketball season, a very unconventional one at that, one that you got off to an even later start with because the college football season was kind of delayed, sort of pushed back a little bit. What are your takeaways, man? What do you feel like you did well during this college basketball season?
1: Oh, wow. I mean, I had mixed results. I mean, I'm basically going to finish, you know, I'm going to lose juice basically uh, this year. So nothing that I did, you know, overwhelmingly that great. Uh, it's kind of a throwaway type of season for me. Uh, I was hoping to win and have a really good one. Uh, I guess moving forward, I want to see you know how much crowd impacts. How much the crowd's coming back is going to be my major question mark. Almost in all sports, I mean, they're going to allow people back in eventually, but you know, are we going to see full stadiums really at, at the extent that we've done prior to, to COVID? I I I have my doubts on that. I really do, uh, just because uh, obviously. You can watch them in, in your friendly confines of your home in front of a seventy-inch TV, uh, and maybe you don't want to take that risk uh, as far as you know getting COVID, even if you got the vaccine. I mean, that's regardless of sport. I I want to see when fans come back if that's getting how that's getting priced in the marketplace because uh, I know that's going to be one of my bigger adjustments in football as I start finalizing some like you know preseason college football power ratings what am I doing with home field advantage from this point forward? Same thing with college basketball on home court.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and, and yet, you know, one of the things that you've harped on a lot that you've talked about a lot is, you know, we didn't get those non-conference data points. We didn't really get to see, you know, how those teams did when they maybe got uncomfortable, maybe played somebody that they weren't accustomed to playing against something like that. So I feel like that was, you know, a big part of of this season for you not being able to see those, So with that being said, I guess sort of the, the follow-up question here would be, is there anything you feel like that you should have done differently or that you may look to do differently going into future seasons? Although, you know, the hope would be obviously that, you know, we never have another college basketball season like the one we just did.
1: Uh I guess you're right. The the thing that I really struggled with and why I got my ass kicked in in January was I didn't have that non-conference. A lot of my January handicapping is, you know, the the disparities in strength of of non-conference strength of schedules, and you just didn't have that this year. So I'll I'll, I'll welcome that back with open arms. Uh, Hopefully that, you know, that that gets back to normal for me. Uh, You know, me personally, I think I'm going to start and this is just me, you know, a, a gripe that I have with, with me on my, you know, I've struggled maybe in the last couple of years after having, you know, like an 18 month period where, where I just, you know, regardless of sport, I just won, but the last couple of years have just not been great for me. You know, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired and I don't want this to be a bitch session, but I got to do more volume. I, I got to, you know, it, my handicapping as far as what I give out to people Has to resemble more of what I bet. Now, obviously, not not everything I bet I can give out because it's not you know market wide, widely available. Uh, It's not you know the numbers are moving so fast. But I'm getting to the point where you know you and I talk about this. I mean, I I gotta you know handicap twice. Uh, I gotta you know handicap the card. Okay, here's what I'm looking to bet. Here's the numbers and whatnot. And then after that process, then oh okay, now I got to narrow down my card and what do I feel comfortable getting out. I'm, that second part of that, I'm getting, uh, I want to do more volume uh, more, because, you know, narrowing it down has not just not been that successful for me in the last couple of years. So if there's anything I'm changing moving forward, starting with the fall is I'm going to more volume. If I think I have an edge, uh, especially with my, you know, power ratings wise then, you know, forget handicapping and narrowing down the card. Oh, I only can give out one or co- one or two plays tonight because people don't want to be betting, you know, five plays on a Tuesday night in college basketball. I, as I get older, I'm tired of that. So I'm just going to be, be more aggressive as far as my volume goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Again, you know, you've got this list of considerations, this list of plays that maybe you've made. And then, you know, for you, at least in terms of, of the pick-selling side of things, you got to handicap every game twice and decide – Which one is the strongest for you? And maybe that's just going exclusively by power ratings overlays. Maybe it's, you know, something else that you found some sort of angle, something like that, but you know, that, that simply adds to the process. You know, it just adds time to the process, time that could possibly be better spent doing something else. So yeah, I think that's definitely a a very fine line to walk, especially because yeah, you don't want to be giving out eight, nine plays to your clients, expecting them to bet them all. But at the same time, I mean, if that's what you're playing, then that's what you're playing. And so yep. I think it's definitely a, a difficult part of that whole equation there. And you know, I think it's always interesting to get the answers from my guests about how they're going to do things differently, uh, you know, with regards to some of these seasons. And and I already talked about it a little bit myself here, where, you know, I'm, I'm a big-time metrics and analytics guy in baseball. And if you read today's picks article, uh, you will very much know that. And I didn't even go as, as numbers heavy as I possibly could have with this first round of write-ups but college basketball is a thing where all I have to rely on are the metric sites because I don't have time to know these teams inside and out don't have time to know how they fare in a lot of different situations stuff like that but I think one thing that I will look to do a little bit differently is kind of look a little more stylistically at how the two teams are going to you know wind up matching up because look you may have a team that's phenomenal at three-point percentage defense but they're playing a team that doesn't even shoot threes. So what does that matter with the defensive efficiency metrics or anything like that in that particular game? So that's something that, you know, I'm going to try to deviate from a little bit. It's just, you know, realizing that the metrics are the metrics, the numbers are the numbers, and they are very helpful and they're a great guide, but they're not created equal based on a team's matchup. So that's something I'm going to try to look at a lot more personally uh, when
1: it comes to future college basketball seasons. I concur with that because, uh, you know, as you broke it down as far as seeing the deficiencies that specific conferences have had, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, if It just doesn't matter. And you see even guys like myself <laughs> or at least media people, you know, quote all, all these stats. I mean, you even, uh, you know, get guy after me. And nah, I like this and that's why I like doing that show where I was talking about you know, teams, specific teams, as far as getting to the you know free throw line, as far as their percentages. And you, you you know, correctly pointed out, Hey, I mean, if they're not getting to the free throw line, who cares if they're, you know, if they're hitting 82% or, or 71% from the line, if you're not getting to it, it doesn't really matter. So I, I, I certainly respected that position you took against me. Uh, it was either last week or the week before. And I see you you're, you're certainly, you know, considering that. So I, I like that.
0: Well, it's always great to chat here with Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper over at bradpowerssports.com And, you know, I know that uh, we have our bitch fests. We rant and rave. I know usually a lot of it done before we actually hit the record button here, but it's always great to chat with you every week, man. And, and whether it's just talking shop about the business or about other things that, you know, maybe our listeners aren't privy to, uh, you know, I, I enjoy these Thursday segments quite a bit. I will miss them, but certainly I understand that, you know, you need a break. Uh, there's not as much to talk about here. So, you know, it'll definitely be good to talk with you again here at various points throughout the summer about how college football prep is going and all of that. But uh, just my heartfelt thanks and gratitude for, you know, doing this every week with me.
1: Hey, man, I, I love it. It's therapy for me. Oh, Good. There you go, man.
0: Uh, tell us what's going on here throughout the spring and summer over at BradPowerSports.com.
1: Well, it's really easy. Uh, I mean, if you want to start dipping your toe in the college football and not the FCS, if you're talking FBS, then I got a free spring guide out there as far as really getting you a jump start towards the 2021 season. So what are we talking about? We're talking about power ratings, early power ratings for all 130 teams. We're talking about projected season win totals for all these teams. You know, I, I put, you know, in, in a nice, easy printable chart, Bill Connelly's returning production which, you know, a lot of people like myself use this time of year. Uh, if you want a projected line on every single college football game for the upcoming season, that's in there in a nice, easy print, printable, uh, format as far as each individual team schedules with a projected line, basically you want it it 's in there it 's not going to be a lot of you know it 's not going to be six thousand words like Adam likes to write about you know a, a random <laughs> card on <laughs> baseball card, but it 'll have a lot of numbers and stuff that you can take and start maybe putting together your own preseason rating so you can download that for free right now at com oh come on man, you do a write up on every game. For college football. I do. I do. So, yeah, I just needled at you a little bit. But you're right. I do. If you like what you see and want to renew for for the upcoming season, I am like Adam. I write up every single college football game every single week, along with the NFL, give you top picks. Those picks the last six years are 55%. I just – it's a good deal. It's 79 bucks right now for the entire season. If only you and I could work smarter and not harder. (laughs) <laughs> That's a major issue for us. So when, when I said I'm tired of like handicapping things twice, I it's we look, I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not 30. I, you know, I'm approaching 40. We need both you and I, if there's a decent criticism, it is to work smarter, not not harder and start getting paid for some of this stuff that we do.
0: Well, you know what, man? Uh, We don't know any other way. And I I don't know if that changes, but you and I don't really know any other (laughs) way. So uh, at least, you know, this is one thing that's kind of off your plate here for the next little while, but uh, we'll definitely be in touch over the spring and summer here. We'll definitely get you back on for some one-off things, talking about a variety of different stuff. But Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper over at bradpowersports.com at Brad Powers and the number seven. Always love the chat, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Talk to you soon, man. Thanks for having me on. There you go. Once again,
0: Brad Powers, bradpowersports.com, at Brad Powers, and the number seven on Twitter. Coming up on Friday, I will do the Betters Box, my solo MLB betting podcast. Uh, A little bit smaller of a card for tomorrow with days off built into the schedule because of weather and all of that. So maybe the article won't take as long. Maybe the article won't be as long, but I will get that Betters Box out to you as early as I possibly can here. Uh, Monday, we'll chat with Kyle Hunter about the national championship game and some of his baseball thoughts. Tuesday, Brian Blessing. Thursday, betters box. And then going forward, Monday, Thursday, the betters box throughout April, May, so on and so forth. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.